The reading is from the book of Exodus, starting at chapter 13. Thus did all the people of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. By the strength of hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No unleavened bread shall be eaten. This day you are to go forth in the month of Abib. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen among you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. And you shall tell your son on that day, is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes and the law of the Lord in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the ordinances at his appointed time from year to year. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we were reflecting on the significance of the Seder and the rubrics of the Seder and how the unity of the people determined by certain features of the Seder the fact that none of the sacrifice could be eaten outside the house, for example, that all the men in the house had to be circumcised, that not a single bone of the Paschal lamb could be broken, all of these things symbolic of the unity of Israel. And I, we reflected at that time that the identity of any group, the identity of any group requires a certain attention to exclusion. We were reflecting this past Wednesday. This is why we don't have. People of God have never had what we call shared communion. Uh, I was asked about this when I was in California. And uh, I told them what I, I told them what the church says. Since then, I've been reflecting that the very notion of having communion across dividing lines, that's very modern. 
None of the prophet, Protestant reformations, none of them wanted that. That's why Luther did not hold the, the Lutherans and the, and, the, and the Reformed, the Calvinists. They didn't. They weren't communion together. They didn't. Um, the first ones, I think, the first ones to change that, I believe, were the Campbellites back in the, uh, back in the 19th century. And then things started to change in the 20th century in the second half. Even the first half of the 20th century, you wouldn't have, you would not have Lutherans and, and uh, Presbyterians or Methodists never be sharing communion, not at all. When I went to Southern Baptist Seminary, uh, they were extremely strict about that in the Baptists. Baptists would not open their altar. The others are heretics. Now, in tonight's reading, It's not so much about the unity of Israel in the present. It's the unity of Israel down through the ages. The identity, the, the identity of the people of God as their identity is transmitted from one generation to another. In this, we talk about continuity. Now, that appears tonight in two respects. First, the consecration of the firstborns, the consecration of the firstborns. The firstborn son, in the mind of Israel, the firstborn son represents the new generation. Not for a minute do I believe we're past that, by the way. I don't believe that's something we've outgrown. The firstborn son is automatically the the future patriarch. Being a firstborn son in my family, uh, I've had that position since birth. Not only the firstborn among my brothers and sisters, but the firstborn among my cousins. And to this day, I'm regarded with veneration as a patriarch. And that is as it should be. in my bedroom next door, or a couple of doors down, I have a photograph someone snapped of me and my Aunt Mary sitting at a family reunion, and we're sitting there very close to one another in chairs, and leaning in, and I don't know what we were talking about, but it was, it was very clearly a very intense discussion, because she's the last one of that generation to die. And she regarded me as a patriarch. Okay. okay. She never was quite sure what she should call me. Most of the time, when her guard wasn't down, she called me Father Pat. Okay. okay. This is a woman who's a quarter of a century older than I am. <laughs> but you see, in the Bible, the firstborn son represents the new generation. That's why he's consecrated. That's why he's consecrated. He is the point of conjunction and the point of transmission of the identity of the community. It's very important that to get him right, he has to get it right. He is the point that requires an extra attention. He will be, this firstborn son, will be the elder eventually. We talk about the elders among the people of God. 
the presbytery among the people of God. He'll be among that number. He may be just a little tiny kid. I mean, he will be a little tiny kid, you know. Although I'm told that I was easily the biggest one lying there in the maternity ward at Jewish Hospital. The firstborn is first, not only in sequence, but also in significance. The biblical word that's used here is rosh. I think most of you know what the word rosh means, as in rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. He's the rosh. He's the head of the family, a new head of the family. On this eldest son, then, fall special responsibilities. A great deal more are required of his eldest son. And this is an extremely important institution in Israel. This prescription is difficult for us today in our, our egalitarian society. It's hard to realize that. I don't know why we should consider that egalitarian society is a good society. That's this, it's taken for granted that equality is what you're supposed to have, and I can't find any basis for that in philosophy, in history, or in religion, that equality is even to be striven for, much less, much less encouraged or, or accepted. But it's certainly not in the Bible. There's no egalitarianism in the Bible, except that everybody's equally bound to keep the commandments, and everybody's equally saved. But in the structure of society, egalitarianism is, is bizarre. The rules in tonight's right reading suppose a higher hierarchical structure. Now, the archie means the principle. Hierarchical means the sacred principle, the sacred principle. In other words, the structure, the structure of the society of the people of God is something consecrated. Hence, the firstborn is, de- is the designated point of consecration. He belongs to God in a way analogous to the first fruits of the harvest. And you'll notice there tonight, it's not just the firstborn of human beings, but the firstborn even of the animals. And the animals themselves, their consecration is quite complete. They're sacrificed. For the firstborn son, a lamb is sacrificed. And if the family is poor and can't afford a lamb, as, for example, that family there, right above you up here, that family, okay. They offer two birds. The firstborn belongs to God because he's the channel by which everybody else belongs to God. More than anyone else, he is answerable to God. Very often, and now that's an institutional thing. You notice very often in the Bible, it's actually the younger son who takes over. That's the, that's the prophetic ministry. That's not institution. That's the prophetic ministry. The second consecration we have tonight pertains to the same thesis of continuity. As the consecration of the day and the week, the yom. What day is it? It's the day of deliverance when Israel comes forth from Egypt. The day of deliverance. What we call Pascha. And what are we to do with this day, according to Moses tonight? Remember. We are to remember. Zakhar, to remember. 
The day is Memorial Day. Now, as the function of the firstborn son is to remember the previous generation and hand on the identity of the family, the day commemorates exactly the same thing. In both cases, we're dealing with the importance of transmission. Memory is the source and the substance of identity. How many times have you heard me say this in the last 20 years? The memory is the source and substance of identity. And this is the point of the seven days of the unleavened bread. Now, when we observe this, these liturgical feasts, particularly the Paschal Feast, which gives identity to the people of God. The presumption is that the younger generation, and he said in the text tonight, he says, thy son, it's singular, singular, interesting, thy son. When he asked thee, what is this all about? How come we're eating unleavened bread? He's not supposed to simply do that stupidly and without knowing what it's about. He's supposed to tell him what it's about. And what do we say? Here's what we say. Because of what the Lord did for me when I came from Egypt. Because of what the Lord did for me when I came from Egypt. He's going to tell his son that. And the son is going to tell his son that. I came forth from Egypt. Notice there? We're all the first generation. We came forth from Egypt. This remembrance says tonight's text, is to be three things. It's an oath, it's a zikaron, and it's a Torah. All three words appear in tonight's reading. It's an oath. Okay. He says, a sign on the hand. Sign on the hand. It's a sign of the covenant, isn't it? Sign of the covenant like the rainbow, like the circumcision. It was a sign on the hand. It's a memorial between the eyes, which means the forehead, by the way. It's always there. Try that sometime. Put something right up here on your forehead. Just, I don't care what, a little piece of scotch tape, just put it there. You're going to be aware of it all the time. You can't get it out of your mind. It's always going to be there. That's what redemption is supposed to be. It's right there all the time. You can't help but feel it's right there. Every time you look at it, there it is. And the third thing, that's, that's the zikaron. You have it right there. And the third thing is the Torah in the mouth. The Torah, put the Torah in your mouth. The, the mouth of the just meditates wisdom. Okay? He meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Always. Okay. We're talking here about the constant remembrance of deliverance. Now, that's very important in the Christian life. The constant remembrance of deliverance. Okay. It's always with us. We can't get it out of our minds. It's always there. The, uh, among the rabbis, of course, they actually wear actual phylacteries when they pray. They actually have the have these things fastened to the wrists, have this thing hanging down between their 
between their eyes. I don't think that's the meaning of the text. I believe that's, that's okay if you want to do that, but I notice most of you guys are not doing it. Who knows what the future holds, but right now it, has, it does not seem to have caught on among us. Okay. I don't believe that's it, the meaning of it, though. I believe in meaning is much more spiritual. We're always to have this in our work, and that's what it means by, by a sign in the hand, our work, because that's what we do with our hands, our work, a sign in our work. It's a sign always in our thoughts, our thoughts. It's always there. We keep coming back to it. And it's always in our mouth. Now, what does that produce? The constant remembrance of deliverance. What does that, what does that do to the heart? Let me suggest it means gratitude. Living constantly lives of gratitude. To giving thanks at all times for this redemption. Amen.